Welcome to the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM, one of the most significant values we provide our clients is leveraging our experience helping hundreds successfully navigate through life's transitions. On this podcast, our advisor team explores some of the questions we get every day from our clients. We share some insights on financial topics, and we interview some fantastic professionals from our vast network. Our hope is that you leave with some food for thought and some good ideas to consider. Thank you for joining us. Reedman World Center opened for business after World War II in 1946 by Tom's uncle, Ralph Reedman, who was a pioneer in the automobile retail business. Tom's father, Thomas Reedman Sr., and his other three brothers also joined the family business. At the time, the Philadelphia Inquirer credited Reedman World Center as the original mall concept of selling cars, several showrooms in close proximity decades before it was successfully imitated by others. In fact, their tagline was, but one location. At their peak, they had a total of 13 car and truck dealerships in 20 showrooms all under one roof in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Besides the extensive interconnected showrooms, they also had their own one-mile-long test drive track on the premises. As the brothers advanced in age and retired, they sold Reedman World Center in 2004, and it became Reedman Toll Auto World. Tom Reedman was born in the car business and even worked there during summers throughout his high school and college years. His 55-year professional career in the automobile industry included 30 years with the family business. He just retired three months ago after an extensive career consisting of 35 years in auto sales and management and 20 years in auto finance, where he's a New Jersey certified finance manager. He's sold everything from Jaguar and Rolls Royces to Hyundais and Kias. And personally, he's owned a wide array of vehicles, including Rolls Royces, Corvettes, Jaguars, Mercedes, Lexus, and the list goes on. Mr. Reben, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Nice to be here with you, Jason. We're lucky to have someone in our inner circle here who has such an extensive background. For those of our listeners who don't know, one of our financial advisors here is Tyler Reedman, Tom's son. And so we were always looking for good guests to bring on the podcast. And somebody with such extensive knowledge of the auto world is definitely a welcome guest. So thanks. You've been in the industry a long, long, long time. Now you're retired. I think anybody can look around, look at the prices the way they are and just say, has we ever seen anything like this before? The one time I can semi-remember when things were topsy-turvy the way they are now was back in the Carter years. All right, this is when the first major gas crisis hit. It got to the point where there were odd even days you were even allowed to get gas. Was on a rationing basis, odd even things like that. Now, being in the car business at the time I had an advantage because we had our own gas pumps. So at least I didn't have to go through that. And I took advantage of it. I would run a tank of gas out a day back in those days. Even though it was rationed, we were going crazy because they went from 25 cents a gallon to 75 cents a gallon. We couldn't believe that it could go that high. And I was throwing money away, spending an extra 10 cents a gallon to get high tests. But see, those were the Carter years. People then, when that first gas crisis, people were driving Cadillacs. They would come into our showroom to trade them into smaller, better gas mileage cars. You couldn't believe a guy would come in with a Cadillac he's had for a year or two and trade them in for a Chevy Vega, if you remember those. And they would get a GT Vega or GT wagon or something just to get the pay. People didn't realize it was going to change. It was just something that happened in those times. They all got it in their mind. That was the way things were going to be. This is why you just have to roll with the punches, whatever happens. But that was the first time I ever saw it. But a year or so after that happened, 
everyone was back trading those Vegas in for Cadillacs and big cars again anyway. We love big cars. What we did is we got out of the sedan business into the basically SUV business nowadays. Trucks and SUVs are more than half of the industry at this point. You were mentioning to me when we were doing some of our show prep that obviously inflation in general, I think the latest number was like 8%, but the car business specifically is off the charts. Ours is even more with supply and demand. And people didn't realize it. Normally, car dealerships would keep 90 days of inventory in there. So they had three months worth of their thing. So if they sold 100 cars a month, they would have 300 cars in stock. Now these dealerships have 50 cars in stock. They don't even have a month's worth. And they can't get them as quickly enough because of the chip crisis, which whether it was artificially put together or not, who knows? We have to deal with what we got. But a lot of people, you go to order a car, used to be able to get it in four to six weeks. Now it could take as long as six months to get these cars. When you were saying that the percentage of inflation specifically in car prices is like 20%. At least 20%. That's on average cars. At least there's some type of inventory. I've sold it in the luxury car business with the people that have a lot of money to spend. They not only would get sticker price, they would get $30,000, $50,000 over sticker to take a car out of stock. Now, you could order one and wait for it six months and pay sticker. But if you wanted to take one out of inventory, you had to pay thirty, forty, fifty thousand because it was supply and demand and those people had the money to spend. So I want to hit on that real quick because I know I see car dealerships, if you look for car listings and things like that, you do see, sometimes you see market value adjustments, sometimes you don't. Are there rules around what dealerships can put on market, how that works? The only rules are that you have to list it as market value adjustment, and it's based on supply and demand. Because Corvettes came out, when they first came out with the new body style, day one, they were getting overinflated prices if you wanted to take one out of inventory. Now, again, you could get in line, order your car, pay sticker price, which at that point, sticker price, you could take your car, drive it home put it up for sale and make $20,000. And there's other cars with even bigger. Right now, you can go in, if you have a Mercedes G-Wagon, is bringing $50,000 over sticker, you could go take delivery of the one you ordered at sticker, take it out and resell it and make $50,000 on that sale. I mean, it's crazy how these prices are right now. So one of the things that we always like to educate our listeners on, especially being mostly a personal finance related podcast is, I think if anybody was given the choice, the average person would probably try to avoid buying a car right now. But the reality is, and you said it, you got to roll with the benches. Sometimes you need to buy a car. If you're in that type of position now, you got to buy an SUV for your family or whatever. Is there places to get value? The secret to getting a good value in this market now is to go with a vehicle. You're always going to want to buy something that suits your needs and your purposes, but you don't want to go buy the hottest thing out that they just came out with because you're going to pay a premium for that. You want to buy the average car with the average equipment. They're the ones you can at least get a decent deal on nowadays. Right now, people that have SUVs that are leasing currently, the best value they can get is to buy their own car at the end of the lease. I guess they don't have to worry because that term is set. And the prices are 20 to 30% higher than what they estimated. You can get a good value in retaining your own vehicle. You can go in, pay whatever your residual value was. You got to pay the sales tax to the state that you're living in. 
and get yourself a new set of license plates, but that's as easy as it is. You just got to put the sales tax and the license. You can either pay cash for it or you can get a loan for that. A lot of people probably don't even realize that. They can just take that lease that they had, grab the residual value of whatever it is, and now roll that into a loan. And most leases are a closed-end lease, but with a predetermined figure that you can buy that car. Now, the secret is you want to start the process of buying your own lease car, if you plan on doing it, 90 days before the lease expires. Because if you wait, some of these leases are written in that if you wait to the day the lease is over, you got to pay fair market value for your own lease. Some of them were written that way. Most major manufacturers are not done that way, but some of them do put that clause in there. So if you buy it out before the lease is up, you pay whatever the actual money value of that car is. But if you wait to the end, they're going to put what they consider to be the current market value in there and the charge it is. General Motors does not charge over the residual value. They're just going to charge you whatever your residual value was, that type of thing. But I mean, some of them do. I would say give yourself at least 90 days before the lease would expire. We have your ideas all set up so you can have that ready to go. Sure. That's very helpful. It's funny you mention leasing. And I think that's probably one of the most common questions we get from clients and from people that are starting to look at getting a car is, should I lease or buy? And to me, you know, buying is pretty straightforward because it's a finance. It's like buying anything and getting a loan. Leasing is very complicated. It has a lot of levers to pull. So can you help us understand like how to weigh buy versus lease? What makes more sense? The first thing in deciding whether a lease or a buy is good for you would be how long do you anticipate keeping the vehicle? Now, a lot of young folks don't know yet because they're too new in the market. They might see something they like a year or two later. Then the lease is not good because getting out of a lease that much early is pretty much easy to figure out. Whatever your residual is, add up your payments, put the two together. That's what you have to do to get out of that lease. And they're going to appraise your vehicle and you're going to owe more on it than it's worth. So most people will let it run. But if you plan on trading out of cars regularly, and I'm talking every two to three years, then leasing used to be the way to go because they would give you a estimation of 50% of the value after the first three years, and you only paid on that 50% depreciation. You didn't depreciate the car 100% like a buy. Well, that's a good point because I think a lot of people don't even realize that, and I'm going to put this in layman's terms, when you lease, you're essentially buying depreciation. You are financing the depreciation of the difference between what the selling price of the car was and what they're anticipating the car is going to be worth, which is that residual value we referred to a couple of times. So that in the middle, plus interest, which I know isn't called interest in that world, but that's really what you're buying when you buy a lease. You're buying depreciation. Exactly. And back two, three years ago, lease used to be the lowest interest rate you could get. Some of them were done at 0% just to sell additional cars at loss leader prices, where you see these $249 a month, $299 a month leases, these were well below market value. So if you went in and bought that car that was advertised, you couldn't do any better. I mean, that same car now was $500 a month that you could have bought at $299. That's how much these leases have gone up. And if people have looked out there, I've looked because I'm in the market of getting a new car for the last six months. I'm still with my same car because I'm not going to just pay crazy prices just because of the time. I don't have to buy a car. If the deal was there, I'd buy one. People probably don't understand when you say the cost of the lease is up. 
aside from the selling price of the car being up, there's that other factor. Right now, money factors, which is the term for interest rate on a lease, that's called a money factor. They used to be at zero. And if it was a high-end lease, it was one, maybe 2%. Now they could go as high as 3 4 5% because there's so few cars. It's whatever the traffic will bear right now. So the interest rates even on the, which they call money factors, are higher than they've ever been. They give you no incentives on the residuals. An incentive on a residual is to estimate the value being higher than it would be at the end of the lease period. The higher the value it is, the less you're going to pay off in that depreciation over that lease period. The payment is much lower. Now they're going to say it's 45% because they're going to error in their favor, not in your favor. And then this is why prices are up. So technically right now, if you can find a car and the best values for people to buy cars now are the ones that currently have a similar vehicle because they don't realize how much higher their trade values on their cars are now. They're the highest they've ever been in the industry. There's some people that bought cars two years ago. They're selling for the same price now as that you paid for two years ago. Basically, no depreciation. So, I actually have a question about that. And this is something useful. When you go in to trade in your car, I'm sure there's dealerships that will give you the accurate market value. But would you say that you really have to have a sense of what the market value is in your trade? Oh, yeah, sure. They could always undercut because they're always going to err in their favor, not in yours. But you have to go in with a idea of the value if you're going to trade your vehicle. So if you don't have a trade-in, it's very cut and dried. You pick out the car, you go from there. But if you have a trade-in, you should know what the current market value is. Now, you can get that from Kelly Blue Book, which most dealers will use. But right now, cars are worth more than Kelly Blue Book. And that's all because of supply and demand. Now, if you were buying a typical car that's, let's say, a Toyota Corolla, it's a car that they sell in numbers. Well, that's supply and demand. There's probably 10,000 of them at auction now for sale. So there's less demand for that car as there would be for a Toyota pickup truck that they can't get. So you're going to pay top dollar for those type of things right now. So, I mean, it's all based on that. And if you have a nice SUV that you've been driving for the last two or three year, buy or lease, it's the highest value they've ever been in the industry right now. You could take advantage of it. And the people that are paying less to go into a new car, the people that luckily have a car to trade that that value is so high. It's the people that have no trade-ins, just buying straight outright that are going to pay through the nose right now. That's the problem. And people, no fault their own, which a lot of people don't realize. I just had this happen to me a year and a half ago. I had a luxury car I was driving, a Lexus LS500. I got rear-ended on Route 130. No fault of my own. A guy just hit me doing 80 miles an hour, weaving in and out of the traffic, totaled my vehicle. It didn't cost me any money, but I lost all my down payment money. I lost all my payments. I walked away whole, but I didn't want to get rid of the car. That car's worth more now than when I paid for it. I took a loss just by not having that car at the end. So especially people that have their car totaled, then they must buy a new car. One advantage, luckily, if they owned it, they're getting top dollar back for their vehicle. So it's different when you lease a car, what the insurance company will pay you back. Whatever the market value is, they're going to tell you that's what it's worth. If you owe that, boom. But leases, if you have to get out of a lease early, they're adding all the unpaid payments and all that type of thing. So it's much more difficult when it comes time to get out of that vehicle. We talked about leasing versus buying and how really the way to get the best value out of that in today's world. 
So once you make that decision, you know, I'm going to buy or I'm going to lease, you go to the dealership, you pick out your car, you work out what you think is a decent deal. And this has nothing to do with current times. It's just in general. Then you go see this other guy in a separate office and you wear that guy. I got to ask you a little bit, got to put you in the hot seat a little bit. When you're in that office and they're talking about other options that you can add on, warranties, coatings, all these different things, what's a good way to evaluate what is a good value and what is something you should skip? The best way to ask that question to me is, what did you do when you bought your own vehicle? And what I did, if I leased a car, I put the maintenance on that vehicle in the cost of the lease for that period of time that I leased it. So if I took a three-year lease, I put three years worth of maintenance included because if you buy it up front, it's cheaper than if you pay out of pocket each time. So if it's going to cost you $100 to get your car serviced every six months, when you buy it from the dealer, they'll sell it to you for 50 cents on the dollar because they're getting the money up front three years in advance. So that's a good value. You never buy warranties on leased vehicles unless you plan on buying it at the end of the lease time. Now, why would you buy a warranty on a car you're leasing? Well, if you know you're definitely buying the car out at the end of the lease and you want to keep it two more years, instead of keeping the three-year warranty, buy a five-year warranty because the first three years are already prepaid from the manufacturer. You're only paying for two years. And it's very inexpensive on a new car to extend that warranty for two extra years. So that would be the way to look at it. If you're buying outright and the car comes with a three-year or even a five-year warranty, and you plan on keeping it for longer, put the warranty on the car that you feel you realistically are going to keep the car. Because it's much cheaper to buy the warranty at the time of the initial sale than when it becomes a used car. And now you're paying used car prices for these warranties, which are much higher. So let's talk about that. Because some of the other things from what I want to understand is when you go in there, you're essentially having these things that they're going over with you with prices attached to them. Is any of that negotiable? It's all negotiable at some point. And what I tell people that ask me personally in a casual question, I says, negotiate what you think you want to have with your car at the time when you're buying the car. Before you get back to me, the smartest people that I had, they had the warranty built in when I got to them. So the price is already built in. Now, if that front desk is putting a warranty in, they're not putting those warranties at retail prices. Because that should cost them money out of their pocket. So they're giving you a discounted price, which the finance manager doesn't like because he's working now for $10 rather than $100 maybe. So that's the difference. If you're going to want a warranty extension, try to do it at the time you're negotiating the value of your car. So say, I will give you this price for the car, but I want the warranty included. I want whatever maintenance is required. I want the warranty and the maintenance included in my price. Now, if you want to buy extra features, that's your own. Some people want to buy fancier mats. They want to get mats like that. That's something you buy at parts department. That's not something you have to negotiate in the car. But the warranty and the maintenance is best to have set up before you even arrive With that in mind, actually, you mentioned it yourself. The best advice is sometimes the things you do in your own life when you go to buy a car. What's probably the best tip you can think of that if more people knew this, they would probably be in better shape? Back when I was first in the industry, we used to get our car serviced every three months, 3,000 miles. Generally, even American cars now are six months, 6,000 miles. So it's only twice a year. So if you're used to paying $80 to $100 for your oil, a tire rotation, things like that, then look at it realistically. 
If you're paying $80 for that amount of money over a three-year lease, you can do the math. If you can get it for 40, isn't it better to negotiate that? Now, you don't have to roll that into the cost of your lease. You can pay for that out of pocket up front. You don't have to put it in your monthly payment. Some people like to do that. And I'll tell you who really likes to put the maintenance in leases up front are company vehicles because they don't want to be bothered with having to worry, put the money out and get reimbursed from the company. If you put the maintenance in your deal, then some of those will include it in the cost. And if you negotiate it up front, it's a good way to attack it. Well, you mentioned that to go back to something we talked about before, the money factor of leases and understanding. Help us understand, how do you tell what is a good lease program versus a bad lease program as far as if you're looking at the options? Rule of thumb that I used to go by to be able to determine the best leases, the monthly payment would be 1% of the value of the car. So if you were buying a $50,000 car and you were leasing it for 500 a month, that was a pretty good lease. Now, you weren't going to get that on a $50,000 electric car that people are putting three years worth of orders in for. But on a typical SUV that they manufacture and they had 90 days worth of inventory in, that would be the rule of thumb. But that same lease that you could get for 500 a month is now 700 a month because they're not getting the cars for inventory anymore. There's no discounts on the money factors anymore. You pay the going rate. So it's best right now to have everything set up now on a purchase. They'll give you five or six years to pay for it. Interest rates are still low. People don't realize that we're talking about raising them, but that hasn't happened yet in the automobile industry. Maybe a slight bit, quarter of a percent, just like they did with mortgage rates, but that's about it. Those costs have not really hit the market yet for the cost of the money to buy a car. Awesome. That's tremendously helpful. And that's the kind of thing when we have this podcast and we set out to talk to people about these kinds of things, those are exactly the insights we were looking for. So I really appreciate everything you share with us today. I want to remind everybody listening, if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Dollar Wise podcast. So when we release a new episode, you'll get a notification. Again, Spotify, iTunes, we're also on Amazon podcasts. Make sure you're hitting that subscribe button and joining our Dollar Wise podcast family. Thanks again for your time today, Mr. Reedman. Appreciate it. And for our listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen today. Thank you, Jason. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM, our mission is to educate and empower our clients to make wise financial decisions. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at hfmadvisors.com. The Dollar Wise Podcast is presented by HFM Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor firm. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer for sale or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. All investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendation appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.